The Gospel reading is the sermon text for today. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Jesus calls us this morning to rise and have no fear. And yet we live in a fear-filled world. Between hurricanes and earthquakes, Chinese balloons, war in Ukraine, North Korean missile tests, there's plenty to be afraid of in this world. Sometimes we can have a fear-filled sense of worship. Here's what that would look like. Fearfully, we hide our sins from one another for fear of judgment. Fearfully, we hoard our possessions out of fear of scarcity. Fearfully, we look at the law and either boast in our own self-righteousness or we cower in our failures. Fearfully, we hide our faith in our homes, our places of work, and communities. Fearfully, we focus on our suffering and get lost in despair. Fearfully, we get confused and focus on the wrong things. Today in our gospel we hear, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount that he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law and prophets. Well, here with Moses and Elijah, we have the law in Moses and Elijah, the great prophet. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, the fact that he says tents does not mean that this is a men's retreat for going camping. But tent should remind you of the tent tabernacle in the Old Testament. See, Peter's not talking about camping, he's talking about worship. Jesus, let me build you a temple. Let me build Moses a temple. Let me build Elijah a temple. Now, seeing Moses and Elijah would be amazing. But only Jesus is to be worshipped. See, Moses and Elijah are never meant to be idols, and yet the human heart is an idol-making factory, and anything is an idol when we put our happiness and security in that thing other than God. And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son 
my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, this bright cloud is the very presence of the glory of God. We remember back in the Old Testament when the pillar of the cloud would lead Israel during the day. This is the cloud that rested on Mount Sinai. And one can almost hear Peter's words slow down and eyes widening as this cloud forms. Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. As this cloud forms and the voice of God speaks. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. I've spent several days the last couple of weeks listening to God. It takes time. It takes intentionality. You have to carve that time out. See, it's one thing to carve time out to pray. Another to take time out to, to read God's word and to hear him speak into your life. And sometimes you just need to spend quiet time with him, listening for his direction, his counsel, his wisdom. Listening to God takes so much time that it gets squeezed out by all the other distractions in our lives. Now faced with this voice from heaven, this cloud, this beaming Jesus Christ transfigured in front of them, they fell on their faces and were terrified. See, the real glory presence of God is terrifying to anyone living in, in a sinful condition. Fear is the only response from a, a fallen humanity standpoint to the glory of God. In the garden, Adam and Eve hid when they heard God's voice because they were afraid. To be confronted face to face with evidence of sin in the presence of any knowing authority is terrifying. Your heart drops your vision narrows, time slows down, and dread washes over you. They can be life-altering moments when you're caught red-handed. But to have that authority that catches you be the very presence of God, you wouldn't be able to prostrate yourself low enough. And there's this sense of fear of God. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. This transforming word is metamorphosis. That's the, that's the word that we use for different developmental stages and different phases. And here we have Jesus revealing himself in his final transformational stage. Paul uses this word transformation, metamorphosis, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 when he writes this, and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Jesus is not the only one who experiences a transformation. Paul says we are being transformed into his image. So the real presence of the glory of the Lord is depicted as this bright white light shining out like the sun. Jesus gives them a glimpse of the glory of God. Now, I don't think we can fully grasp this experience until we see it with our own eyes face to face. We can read about it. We can have faith in it. We can trust that it truly happened. But to know that encounter, 
to be bathed in the glory of God. To fully comprehend that. And yet we do have glimpses of that here on earth. Every time somebody comes to the waters of baptism, every time we receive the very body and blood of our crucified and risen Savior, we are in the presence of the glory of God. We, we just don't have eyes to fully see it yet. The glory is real. But so is the suffering that we experience here. You see, there is no new life without our old Adams and old Eves being drowned in the waters of baptism. There is no body and blood of Jesus without his sacrifice on the cross. I wonder sometimes if we as the church have lost the sense of fear of the Lord. Now, of course, we know from, from good Lutheran doctrine that we fear, love, and trust in God. We have this sense of awe and wonder and deep respect, but without encountering him in all his fullness, maybe it's just a little bit easy to hide behind religious rites or catchy contemporary songs and, and seeing Jesus only as a good shepherd or our loving and merciful friend or even the one who died for us. I think sometimes it's easy to miss the divinity, the powerful lion, the voice that spoke the world into existence, the one who delivers terrible judgment, the fullness of the one who broke open the skies and rained down judgment, drowning all but eight people in this world, the one who went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Satan, the one who was victorious over even death itself and rose victorious. See, this is no mere man, no mere prophet. This is not even a man of God. This is God incarnate in man. And what does it mean to be in fear of God and have him reach down and touch your shoulder and say, rise. Fear no more. Jesus came and touched them saying, rise and have no fear. See, that touch was an interruption to the terror that they were, fearing, that they were experiencing and an immediate signal to refocus. See, touch draws them out of their fear and lifts them up. We are to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift us up. And this command to rise and have no fear implies that we are to experience and encounter a transformation, a metamorphosis of our own. Jesus has the authority to call us to rise because he was lifted up onto the cross. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven and he promises to rise us up on the last day. And he calls us to rise up to a new life today. How would we respond if we, were, if we were Peter, James, and John on that day? What would a, a faithful reaction would have been? Worship. Giving glory to God. Giving praise. And this transformed life that he leads us into, well, it looks like transformed lives of freedom, Transform lives of joy, transform lives of sacrifice and renewal. To be able to face the fears of this world head on. That we journey from this glorious transfiguration day 
on the mountaintop and begin our journey down into the season of Lent. We will face sacrifice, but it will, re- it will lead to a life of renewal. It's a change of our perspective, a change of our worldview to live our life focused on Christ. See, changing one's worldview can be very difficult, and it usually occurs through some type of event in your life that causes you to think that the current worldview that you hold no longer fits with your experiences. The disciples experienced this, this whole transformational learning kind of process. They had this disorienting dilemma with with Jesus himself, this this king, this Messiah who, who had come to restore his kingdom Israel only to die and then to rise again. And they began to learn new roles and relationships and actions and practicing those empowered by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost to be the disciples and the apostles that Jesus is sending out into the world and they boldly proclaim him. No longer fishermen, tax collectors, but apostles with a new life, the old left behind. Jesus is preparing them, undergirding them in this moment on top of the mountain to prepare them for the suffering that will follow in Lent. I'd like us to consider our own sufferings with maybe a different worldview, a different perspective, To see them not as moments where life is difficult, maybe God has turned his back or failed to do what we hoped he would, but to instead see this as a possibility of a moment of metamorphosis, of who is God shaping us into? Who is he equipping us to be? What is this transformed life that he is calling us to? May the peace that passes all understanding Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.